Lord, we need you. God, I, I need you, and I feel that deeply today. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would be our teacher. God, that you would, by the power of your spirit, lead us in the study of your word. And God, I pray that we would do more than gather in an intellectual exercise around the study of this book, but I pray that we would gather as people who are thrilled as worshipers to encounter you, who are transformed as followers in pursuit of Jesus Christ, who are recipients of great grace today. So lead us in the study of your word. Change and transform us in the power of Christ. And Lord, not only us, but the other brothers and sisters who are gathered in this community. Lord, I pray that the churches of Jesus Christ would be strengthened in this day. I pray specifically for Pastor Dan and East Coast Christian Center, Lord, that you would give them grace today, that they would know and and believe and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray that they would experience the power of your grace in and through them as a fellowship. God, I want to thank you for the many people in East Coast Christian, many of their pastors and many of the members of that church that are friends of mine that I've known through the years and that are encouraging to me. And Lord, I pray that that family of faith would be blessed in this day. God, we love you. We thank you for what you are doing in and among us. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And like I mentioned earlier, we've been in the book of 1 Peter for a while. And what we've seen is that this is a letter that was written to a group of believers that were scattered through a region of the world that is now modern day Turkey. And these individuals' lives had become very, very difficult. Many of them had lost their jobs, their homes, their way of doing life. Many of their families had even turned on them as they became followers of Jesus Christ. And so they're in the middle of an extreme difficult season of life. They're facing challenges as followers of Jesus Christ. And so this book is written to people who are living life when life gets tough. And we saw last week that one of the things Peter writes, and it's there in verse one of chapter four, is that we can be prepared to face the difficult seasons of life by adopting a mindset or a way of thinking that reflects the mindset Jesus had when he suffered and lived on this earth as well. And if you'll recall last week, um, I felt just before the service, to split that message in two. And so last week, we talked about the first part of the mindset that we see in this passage of Scripture that reflects Christ's way of thinking. And that mindset is this. I am not going to waste any more of my life on sin. I'm done. I'm done. And the second mindset sort of accompanies that. It's, it's not just that I'm going to stop. It's that I'm going to begin. And, and the, the question is this, or the statement is this. I'm not going to waste any more of my life on sin. I'm done. I'm going to invest the rest of my life serving others for the glory of God. So to follow Jesus and to live prepared to encounter the difficulties of life, we must embrace this mindset that says, I'm I'm done with sin and I'm gonna invest the rest of my life in service. And as we discussed last week, I feel like it's really important to start today by reminding you 
That while those phrases sound like these declaration of personal resolutions, I'm going to do this or I'm not going to do that, those are not personal resolutions. Those are statements of faith. That's what occurs in a believer's heart when you know Christ and you trust him and you're depending on his power. You see, the Bible says that when you come to Jesus in faith, that not only does Christ through his death offer you the ability to be forgiven of your sin and made right with God, by the power of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit lives in us and empowers us to live the kind of life that only Jesus could live. As a matter of fact, the Bible describes this in Galatians 2.20 as saying that it's no longer we who live as we come to Christ in faith, but it's Christ who lives in us. And so when we come to this declaration and say, I'm not going to waste any more of my life on sin, we need to know this. We can't do that on our own. We need Christ to work in us. But when you come to Christ, he does work in us. And so we can say in confidence, in a declaration of faith, I'm not going to waste any more of my life on sin. And and what causes us to believe that? Because Jesus now lives in me. And just as dependent as we are on Jesus to fight the battle we all have with sin, we're just as dependent. We're equally as in need of Jesus for that second mindset. How are you going to live the rest of your life? Here's how Christ has called you to adopt a mindset that says, I'm going to invest the rest of my life serving others for the glory of God. That's Christ's call for you, and you're going to need Jesus' power to live it out. So let's keep that in mind, and I want to show you what this says about serving like Jesus in verses 7 through 11. So let's pick up where we left off last week. I'll start in verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And I would add with the rest of scripture, through Jesus Christ in you as you serve. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so those verses share with us how it is that we're to think like Jesus as people who've adopted a servant mindset. People who've said, I'm going to invest the rest of my life like Jesus invested his life serving others for the glory of God. I'm following the example of Christ like verse 1 of chapter 4 says, and I'm stepping in to service. And in these four verses, there's a lot we could talk about, but there are four words here that describe how a person serves as they as they reflect Christ or how you serve like Jesus. And here are the four words and they're going to form the way we study this passage. The first one is prayer. The second one is love. The third word is hospitality. The fourth word is power. Prayer, love, hospitality, power. If you want to say, how do I serve like Jesus? Here are four words. Prayer, love, hospitality, power. Let me kind of unpack that a little bit. Here are four phrases around those words. We serve like Jesus when we kneel in prayer. 
We serve like Jesus when we continue in love. We serve like Jesus when we embrace others in hospitality. We serve like Jesus when we step out in God's power. Let's talk about those one at a time. And I want to show you where I'm getting those from this passage. The first one, we serve like Jesus when we kneel in prayer. Look at verse seven. Here's where I get that. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayer. Stop right there. Verse 7 says, the end of all things is at hand. And that's a reference. It's a continuation, really, of the thought that he started back in verse 5 when he says that there's a day that's coming when Jesus is going to return and judgment is going to be brought to every man, woman, and child. Peter is saying we need to live as if Jesus could return any moment and judgment could come any day. Peter's saying Jesus can come sooner than you ever imagined. That's why he says the end is at hand. It's closer than you can imagine. It's basically the opposite of this. It's the opposite of living like you've got all the time in the world because the truth is this. None of us know how much time we actually have left. That's what Peter's pointing to. He's saying you don't know how much time you actually have left on this earth. And and more than that, more than just you, don't know how much time you have left. That's true for everyone around you. And in and, and, and the verses before this, he's actually talking about the fact that everyone around these people would have to stand before the judgment of God when Jesus returns. He's having them think about other people in regards to the judgment of Christ, not just themselves. And so he says, you should think that at any moment Christ could return and everyone you know will stand before God and appear before the judgment of Jesus Christ. And because that's true, he says, be sober-minded be, be clear in your thinking. Be disciplined in your service. And what's the thing that should be affected by our clear thinking, our sobriety, our discipline? He says, for the sake of your prayers. One of the ways we adopt a mindset that reflects the service of Jesus Christ is by kneeling in prayer in, in regards to one another. Let me just ask you this question, okay? Who are the people where you live, work, learn, and play, who are far from God but close to you, people who need Jesus. And I want to encourage you, even in this moment, would you think about who those people are? Let their names come into your mind. Go through your neighborhood. Who are your neighbors who live right next to you, but they are living far from God? What about a work? What are the people in your office? Who are they? What are their names? Those people who work close to you, but they are living far from God in your schools. Who are the people who are close to you, but far to God? People in your hobby group where you are part of an affinity group, whether it's golfing or fishing or whatever you might do. Who are those people who live close to you, but are living far from God? Let those names come into your mind. And realize this, you have no idea how much time they have left on this earth, but every single one of them will one day stand before God. And that should cause you to be sober. And it should affect something that serves them, namely your prayers. 
You guys know that the vision for our church in this first initiative that we've been in now for eight months or so, the vision is to see every man, woman, and child in this community given repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus. And all of us, I believe, know that stepping into that initiative includes more than prayer, but we need to be reminded it doesn't include anything that isn't dependent on prayer. So let me ask you this. What if you began serving all of the names of those people in your life who are near to you and far from God by being disciplined and sober, praying for them every day, asking God for their salvation, giving you opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus. The reality is this church, we begin to serve people like Jesus when you continue kneeling in prayer for the souls of men. So what's that look like in your life. We got to keep moving on because that's more than, or there's more here than just, just that. Look at the next one. We serve like Jesus, not only when we kneel in prayer, but we serve like Jesus when we continue in love. Look at verse eight. Verse eight says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. Notice that verse 8 says something really, really interesting about love. He says, keep on loving one another. I absolutely love that phrase. Do you know what that phrase is a reference to? Keep on loving each other. It's a reference to the fact that, that staying in love is harder than falling into it. Can I get a witness? That was a trap. You guys are pretty good on that. Take, take marriage, for instance, if we're living dangerously this morning. Do you remember when you first met your spouse? Do, do you remember when you first fell in love with your spouse. Now, I hope that this is not your story. I hope that you would not be a person who said, I could not stand them. I could, it took everything I had to love them. I hope that's not your story. I I would venture to say that most of you, when you first met the person who became your spouse, you put your first or your best foot forward and they put their best foot forward as well. They may have been in the prime of their life. Now, Now think about all those years ago when you first fell in love with your spouse and they were putting their best foot forward and they were living in the prime of your life. If there has been any time at all that's lapsed between now, that may not be the case anymore, right? As you get to know one another, time has a way of doing something, right? We stop putting our best foot forward. We no longer live in the prime of our life. As a matter of fact, the flaws that are deep within us can't be hidden very long in our brokenness, our sin, and the mere fact that we are living on planet Earth exposes the fact that we are broken and our brokenness in many ways is growing in a sense rather than receding. Um, my, my, my high school soccer coach and his wife are here this morning. Isn't that cool? My high, yeah, it's, I thought it was cool. Chuck and Karen, where are you guys? Would you wave to me somewhere? They're here. They're right in the back. So you can talk to them and they'll give you some cool stories about me when I was in high school. But remember, don't ruin my ministry, okay? Because you've got the power to do that. I was thinking about them this week, um, not because of, of, of anything about the, the brokenness of their marriage, but because of the fact that we share a mentor in, in ministry. One of the individuals who mentored me, his name was Howard Sears. And Pastor Sears 
was already in his 80s when he took me under his wing. He was at a place in his ministry when I was starting out in my ministry where he didn't want to drive all the time, but he still preached all over the tri-state area in Ohio and Indiana and Kentucky. And so he would have me drive him different places to preach. And so I got to hear him lots of different times preach lots of the same messages. It was pretty awesome. But he used to quote this poem all of the time when he was preaching. And I, I thought about it in relation to time kind of exposing our flaws. Listen to Pastor Sears' poem that he used to quote. He said this, old age is golden, so I've heard it said, but sometimes I wonder as I crawl into bed with my ears in a drawer and my teeth in a cup, my eyes on the table until I wake up. As sleep dims my vision, I say to myself, is there anything else I should lay on the shelf? When I was young, my slippers were red and I could kick up my heels right over my head. When I was older, my slippers were blue, but I could still dance the whole night through. Now I'm older, my slippers are black. I huff to the store and I puff my way back. But never you laugh, I don't mind at all. I'd rather be huffing than not puff at all. Each morning I get up, I dust off my wits. I open the paper and read the obits. If I'm not there, I know I'm not dead, so I eat a good breakfast and go back to bed. (laughs) How do I know my youth is all spent? My got up and go has got up and went. (laughs) Now listen, that might hit a little too close to home for some of you in this room, but the reality is this, as we go through life and we're in relationship with other people, time has a way of exposing and accentuating our flaws. That's why it's easier to get married than it is to stay married. That's why it's easier to make friends than to keep friends. That's why it's easier to join a church than stay in a church. So Peter, knowing that, says, keep on loving each other. And then he uses this phrase, earnestly. The word earnestly means eager. It's another way of saying, I want to do this. It's another way of saying, I choose to do this. We make a choice. We keep on loving each other. We continue in love with one another. And as I was thinking about that this morning um, and how time has this way of, of causing our love to sort of wane over time, I've got to tell you, just the Holy Spirit uh, stirred my heart in this uh, that I began to reflect that I've been able and, and, and blessed to serve as a pastor in this church for almost 15 years now. Almost 15 years. I started when I was 10. And we have been through a lot together. We really have. And time has had a way, hasn't it, of exposing some flaws. I've had some real snafus up here, if you'll remember. I'm not going to bring them up because I want to ruin Christmas again this year. (laughs) You remember that one? And I've got to tell you, I am so eager to affirm today that I choose to love you and to keep on loving you. As a matter of fact, I want to quote the great theologian R. E.O. Speedwagon. I want to keep on loving you. I really do. And I've got to tell you, if God would give us 15 more, something has to happen. Right? We have to choose to keep on loving. 
and something has to happen. And it's what he says next in the second part of verse 8. Love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, Really quickly, that doesn't mean that love ignores sin. That doesn't mean that love doesn't deal with sin or that love doesn't confront sin. Not at all. This isn't a verse that's written in a vacuum. There's the rest of the Bible telling us how to deal with sin. What this is referring to is that after we have confronted and dealt with sin in every way the Bible calls us to do, there's something that should dawn on us. We will never live in a relationship with someone who isn't affected by sin. There's no other kind of person than a person who's broken in sin. And it means then that love, true God-given love, becomes a covering in our relationship. A covering of grace that keeps us from fixating on every imperfection in one another. It would not take you long at all to hate me because of my brokenness and sin if you wanted to. Flaws are everywhere, but love becomes a blanket that covers our relationship in grace and enables us to do something called forgiving one another and forbearing with one another and living in patient grace toward people who aren't perfect. We serve each other by loving in a way that Jesus has loved us by choosing to love and continuing to love as we cover one another's imperfections with grace and mercy. And so let me just ask you this. I've had to check my heart in this matter, but I I want you to know the Holy Spirit has really, really begun to expose ways that I've become a professional at pointing out the speck in my brother's eye while I refuse to address the log of lovelessness in my own. And I want to ask how it's going with you. Have you turned pro at pointing out specks of sin in your brother's eyes while you refuse to address a log of lovelessness in your own? Marriages are broken. Friendships are ended. Churches are split Communities are divided when we don't continue pursuing love by putting a covering of grace over the imperfections in one another's lives. So we serve like Jesus when we kneel in prayer and we continue in love. And that's really connected closely to the the next description of service in verse 9. Look at verse 9. It shows us that we serve like Jesus when we embrace others in hospitality. Verse 9 says, show hospitality to one another. And there's more without grumbling. Have you ever been getting your house ready for company and hating every minute of it? Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, right? Have your neighbor's kids ever been coming over and you've got to put away all the sharp objects and you hate every minute of it? Show hospitality without grumbling. That word hospitality literally means to show love to strangers. It's what happens when we see the people around us and something clicks in our heart and we say, there's room in my life for you. Like I'm not close to you. Now, I always think about that scene when, when Forrest Gump is getting on the bus for the first day of school, and because everything in my life relates to a movie I've seen, I remember Forrest Gump getting on that bus, and everyone down the aisle had the same thing to say to him, seat taken, can't sit here. 
And a lot of us have effectively turned our lives into that school bus experience. We pass through our world and we continually say, seat taken, can't sit here. Hospitality with the mind of Christ says, my life has room for you. And Peter knows something about that. Just think about who Peter is. Peter is this guy who grew up in a Jewish community with people who looked and they they thought and they act and they lived so much just like him. And he was comfortable in that Jewish bubble. But there was a point in time in the book of Acts when God had to let Peter know that he had a heart for Peter, but he had a heart for other people that were different than Peter. People who lived differently than Peter. People who ate differently than Peter. People who had different traditions and ways of doing life. And God began to soften Peter's heart toward Gentiles, even though they were different than him. And even though they behaved and lived and acted and had customs and diets that were different than him, they stretched him and he was inconvenienced by it. But God began to stir his heart with this truth. Peter, I died for them. I, I, I love them. It cost me to love them too. It cost me my life. I had to leave the throne of heaven in order to come and die for them. And Peter, I, I love you, but I love them too. And I want to reach them through you. You know what that meant? That Peter had to become comfortable being uncomfortable. And so do we, which is one of the reasons why he says we show hospitality without grumbling. You know why? Because when you open your life to new people, they bring their brokenness and mess with them. They don't leave it at home. And it's easy to be inconvenienced by them, which makes it easy to complain about them. That's not what love does. That's not how Jesus lives. Love doesn't complain. Love doesn't do nice things to someone's face and then turn around and complain about them behind their backs. And I've got to tell you, I want to celebrate Christ's work in you as a church family. Listen to this. Every single week, hundreds of people from this church family serve through the House of Hope ministry. And they show the love of Christ. You show the love of Christ to people who are homeless or they're financially impoverished or they're just going through a hard season. Just this last week, let me give this last week as an example. God used you to provide full groceries, not a meal, but full groceries to over 800 families in this community. You gave away hundreds of articles of clothing. You shared the gospel personally and you prayed with a very large number of them. Fifteen of those people prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior just this week alone. Praise God. And it happened the week before. And if Jesus doesn't come back, it's going to happen tomorrow. Do you know what that is? That's love continuing in hospitality. You think the people who, who, who come to this campus every Monday aren't broken? And that they don't bring it with them? That the individuals who serve in House of Hope just have the, 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 the sterile, easy job of relating to people who are in the hardest season of their life, not in your wildest imagination, and yet they continue. You continue 
loving with hospitality. Over the last couple of years, we have had hundreds of new people come to be a part of this church. And I want to brag on the work of Christ in you. Small groups have been opened up all over the place to accommodate those new people. We have gone from having about 50% of our worship attendance gathering in a small group to having about 80% of our worship attendance gathering in small groups. And Pastor Mark has done an incredible job and as a servant leader over that ministry. And many of our Sunday school teachers and leaders have followed his servant leader example by breaking their small group in half or by opening up new spaces or starting new groups so they could continue to show love and hospitality to people who are new among us. A couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation with a couple who have not been a part of our church very long. They actually moved into this area to be near their kids and their grandkids. And while they moved here, they got connected in uh, our worship gatherings on a Sunday morning. They moved into a small group through the Sunday school ministry. And then recently, um, the way that kids have a tendency to do, their kids and grandkids got a new job and were transferred out of the area. So the very reason they came into the community, got up and, and left right out from underneath them. And they were sharing with me that they don't want to leave now because they found a spiritual family that has loved them and opened their arms to them and shown hospitality through the community of a small group. Praise God, that's called continuing to love people through hospitality. And church, let's keep pressing deeper into that. Not just as a group, but as individuals. How may Jesus be calling you to say there's room in my life for you where you live, where you work, where you learn, and where you play. We are called to serve like Jesus. And we do it when we kneel in prayer. We do it when we continue in love. We do it when we embrace others in hospitality. Here's the last thing. We serve like Jesus when we step out in God's power. Look at verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As stewards of, look at this, God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love that passage of scripture, but what the Holy Spirit has compelled me to share among all the other things that is in that passage, those two verses, is that this is a call to step out in service depending on and being confident in the power of God to meet you there. Notice that he says our ministry comes through grace. It's the grace of God poured out onto our lives and it looks different for every single one of us. That's why verse 10 says it's varied grace. Your acts of service will look different than my acts of service. So as different as all of our individual lives of service will be, all of our service has one common denominator and it's that the power of God is flowing in us through his grace equipping and enabling us to serve. God is promising something here. And I hope we hear it and believe it and obey it. He is promising that he will release his power. How much power does God have? All of it, right? How much does he have? Think about how much he has. He has more than that. He has all of the power, more than you can imagine. And he says, I will release my power into the lives of people. 
who will believe me, who will trust in my Son, who will rely in the power of my Spirit, who will be so confident in my promises that when they step out in service, they step out as though they are new people. New people with new identities who have new power that I step out and serve. He says, as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. He says, we step out and we serve, say, God will work powerfully in me as I serve. And here's the deal. Here's what I want to say to you. Some of you already feel stirred to serve. And you feel stirred to serve in this church family or in this community, in various places throughout this, this culture. And as you feel God stirring you or you're seeing opportunities for God-sized need, you're beginning to think something. And the thing you're thinking is, I can't do that. I can't do that. That is too big. Some of you are being called to teach fourth grade boys in Sunday school. And you know you can't do that. And you are right. No one can teach fourth grade boys in Sunday school. But God himself. And listen, he wants to use you. He wants you to get a front row seat in seeing his power show up. So if you feel stirred to serve and there's something in you saying you can't do it, I want to encourage you to not run from that, but to embrace that. Because if you could do what God is calling you to do, do you realize what that means? It means you wouldn't need God. You wouldn't need God's grace to overshadow your weakness. If you could do what God's calling you to do, then God wouldn't be glorified by your service. You would be. And so God has precisely designed how he wants you to serve to be in ways that you can't do on your own. So you can have a firsthand seat to see Jesus showing up. And so those around you will do what the end of verse 11 says, which is glorify God through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus Christ. Every single one of these descriptions, kneeling in prayer with discipline and sobriety, continuing in love in a way that covers sin without ignoring it or not dealing with it, showing hospitality without grumbling, embracing broken people around us and stepping out of power. Every single one of these descriptions is really a description of what it looks like to have Jesus living in you, to have him doing what you can't do on your own. And so I say it every week and I'll say it again today. That's why we need Jesus. And we don't just need him, church. We have him. God has given us his power as we are willing to trust in him. And I just want to share with you a God story of how he is allowing this truth to converge on us as a church, even in this season. Some of you will remember several years ago, we as a church became deeply burdened about the condition of our local schools, our our public schools in our entire culture, but specifically the ones in this community. And so we began to pray about our public school system and see how it is that, that God may expose opportunities for us to do something about our concerns. And I just want to let you know that in the years that have gone by since then. God has done an amazing work. This last year, almost every first and second grade class at Mila Elementary School had a volunteer from First Baptist Merritt Island serving there every single week. Just think about that for a second. 
While many Christians in our culture are complaining and saying things like, the schools have kicked God out, God has opened up doors to put his people in. They're not kicking us out. They're inviting us on campus. As a matter of fact, Pastor Brian has done an incredible job leading our efforts to serve Mila. And, and last week, he was overjoyed with some news that he shared with me. He shared a report from the leaders of Mila that the reading scores at Mila are jumping up the chart, even as other area schools are falling down the chart. And the leaders of that school have in no small way attributed the success of their reading program to how you have served. Whether they know it or not, what they're saying when they say, because First Baptist people are here, they may not know it, but what they're saying is they're experiencing God's strength through your lives. And if you had told us a couple years ago that the leaders of a local public school would be inviting us more and more and more on campus, not less and less and less, and attributing to First Baptist Church, Barrett Island, the advance of reading scores in classrooms, we just said, there's no way we can do that. And you know what? There's no way we could. But God can. Yes. I want to let you know this. And I've got so many stories, I'm not going to be able to share them all. But at the end of this month, we're going to have a Sunday morning that's going to highlight several areas of God-sized need in this community. At the, 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 the Sunday morning, I believe it's August 29th, but I could be very wrong on that date. It's the last Sunday in August. We're going to have a Sunday morning where we're going to highlight various circles of opportunity God has given us as a church to step in to God-sized need. I don't want to let the cat on the bag, but I am so stoked about these opportunities. We have even more incredible opportunities opening up in our local schools. We have God-sized opportunities happening in nursing homes and adult care facilities in this community. We have incredible opportunities to serve on a weekly, monthly, and yearly basis. Families who have children with special needs. We have an opportunity that's so cool to serve families who are in the foster care system of Brevard County. We've got an opportunity to step into serving the deaf community, an unforgot, or a, a forgotten part or people group of this community. And many of you are being stirred already to step into that. We have enough opportunity that we're going to share with you at the end of this month to step into service that I am convinced that we could put every single person in this church family in a spot of service as the church in this community. And so this passage couldn't come to us at a better time. Because I know life is hard, and it won't stop for you while you serve. So it's easy to become preoccupied on the hardness of your life, and that's why he says, prepare yourself by adopting Christ's way of thinking, even when life gets tough. And how did Jesus think? How did Jesus live? Jesus said, I'm going to invest the rest of my life serving other people for my Father's glory by kneeling in prayer, by continuing in love, by embracing others in hospitality, and by stepping out in God's power. And brothers and sisters, the door is wide open for you to follow. So will you?
Will we? Will we step out in faith to Jesus and see the men, women, and children of this community encountering the love of Jesus Christ before they've ever stepped foot on this campus? The door is open. Will we follow Christ? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads before we go and spend some moments in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to begin by just thinking about the people you know who are far from God but near to you. The people where you live, your neighbors, your coworkers, classmates, friends. Would you ask God to stir your heart to diligently pray for their salvation? To have discipline so that you wouldn't forget tomorrow morning when you wake up that they are one day closer to eternity. Would you pray for them? Even now, would you lift up their names in prayer, asking God for their salvation? Would you pray that God would stir up love in your heart and not the kind of love that easily falls into love, the kind of love that stays? There may be someone in your life God is calling you to show mercy and grace for your love to be a covering for the areas of brokenness and sin. Would you ask God to give you mercy and grace to step into that? And then would you pray that God would prepare your heart to follow the leadership of Christ in areas of service that are addressing God-sized needs. That you would have faith to step out into something that's bigger than you. Something you, you couldn't do on your own. That you would believe that God in his power will meet you there. And that he already lives with his power in you through the Holy Spirit placing Christ in you. Father, we are certainly in need but God we don't just need you we have you and we praise you that you've given yourself to us and Lord I ask that we would believe these words that we read and by the power of your spirit keep stepping out that we would love and keep on loving that we would open our arms and our lives to people in hospitality without grumbling or complaining as we're inconvenienced and uncomfortable, and that we would be manifestations of your power on this earth, that you would do in us more than we could ever do for ourselves. Thank you that you've promised that already. I pray we would believe, and I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.